Introduction In the 16th century, the English historian John Fox looked over his shoulder at the great sweep of the near and distant past. History, thought Fox, or ecclesiastical history, which was the stuff that really mattered to him, could be sliced into three great chunks. It began with the primitive time, by which he meant those ancient days when Christians hid in catacombs to dodge persecution by wicked, faithless Romans, and tried to avoid being crucified or worse. It culminated in what Fox called our latter days, the era of the Reformation, when the grip of the Catholic Church on life in Europe was challenged, and when Western navigators began to explore the new world. Sandwiched between these two periods was an awkward slab consisting of about 1,000 years. Fox called this the Middle Age. It was, by definition, neither fish nor fowl. Today we still use Fox's label, although we have added a plural. For us, the years between the fall of the Western Roman Empire in the 5th century AD and the Protestant Reformation are the Middle Ages. Anything relating to the time is medieval, a 19th century adjective which literally means the same thing. But if we have added an extra letter, our periodization is largely the same. The Middle Ages were, it is usually supposed, the time when the classical world had vanished, but the modern world was yet to get going. When people built castles and men fought in armour on horseback. When the world was flat and everything very far away. Although some 21st century global historians have tried to update the terminology, speaking not of Middle Ages, but of a Middle Millennium, this has not yet caught on. Words are heavily loaded. The Middle Ages are often the butt of a big historical joke. Medieval is frequently deployed as a dirty term, particularly by newspaper editors, who use it as shorthand when they want to suggest stupidity, barbarity and wanton violence. An alternative popular name for this period is the Dark Ages, which does much the same job, caricaturing the medieval past as a time of permanent intellectual night. For obvious reasons, this can make today's historians quite tetchy. If you should happen to meet one, it is best not to deploy medieval as an insult, unless you want a lecture or a punch on the nose. The book you are about to hear tells the story of the Middle Ages. It is a big book, because that is a big task. We are going to sweep across continents and centuries, often at breakneck pace. We are going to meet hundreds of men and women, from Attila the Hun to Joan of Arc, and we are going to dive headlong into at least a dozen fields of history, from war and law to art and literature. I am going to ask, and I hope answer, some big questions. What happened in the Middle Ages? Who ruled? What did power look like? What were the big forces that shaped people's lives? And how, if at all, did the Middle Ages shape the world we know today? There will be times when it may feel a little bit overwhelming, but I promise you, it is going to be fun. I have divided this book into four broadly chronological sections. Part 1 looks at what one brilliant modern historian has labelled the inheritance of Rome. It opens with the Roman Empire in the West in a state of retreat and collapse, rocked by a changing climate and several generations of mass migration, among other things. 
It then looks at the secondary superpowers that emerged in Rome's wake, the so-called barbarian realms that laid the foundations for the European kingdoms, the remodelled Eastern Roman superstate of Byzantium, and the first Islamic empires. It takes the story from the beginning of the 5th century AD to the middle of the 8th. Part 2 opens in the age of the Franks, who revived a Christian, pseudo-Roman empire in the West. The story here is partly but not exclusively political. Besides tracing the rise of the dynasties who carved Europe into Christian royal realms, we will also look at the new forms of cultural soft power that emerged around the turn of the first millennium. This part of the book asks how monks and knights came to play such an important role in Western society during the Middle Ages, and how the fusion of their two mindsets gave birth to the Crusades. Part 3 begins with the stunning appearance of a new global superpower. The rise of the Mongols in the 12th century AD was a sharp and hideously brutal episode in which an eastern empire with its capital in what is now Beijing achieved fleeting domination over half the world at the cost of millions of lives. Against the background of this dramatic shift in global geopolitics, Part 3 also looks at other emerging powers in what is sometimes called the High Middle Ages. We will meet merchants who invented extraordinary new financial techniques to make themselves and the world richer. Scholars who revived the wisdom of the ancients and founded some of today's greatest universities and the architects and engineers who built the cities, cathedrals and castles that still stand 500 years on as portals back to the medieval world. Part 4 of this book brings the Middle Ages to a close. The section begins with a global pandemic that ripped through the world from east to west, devastating populations, reshaping economies and changing the way that people thought about the world around them. It then looks at how the world was rebuilt. We will meet the geniuses of the Renaissance and travel alongside the great navigators who struck out in search of new worlds and found them. Last of all, we will see how shifting religious dogma, allied to new communication technology, brought about the Protestant Reformation, an upheaval which, as Fox recognised, brought the curtain down on the Middle Age. That, then, is the basic shape of this book. I should also say a few words about its preoccupations. As the title suggests, this is a book about power. By that, I do not simply mean political power or even human power. We will come across many mighty men and women, although since this is the Middle Ages, there are inevitably more of the former than the latter. But I am also interested in mapping great forces beyond human control climate change, mass migration, pandemic disease, technological change and global networks. These sound like very modern or even postmodern concerns, but they shape the medieval world too. And since we are all, in a sense, children of the Middle Ages, it is important that we recognise how similar we are to medieval people, as well as acknowledging our real and profound differences. This book focuses mostly on the West and sees the history of other parts of the world through a Western lens. I make no apology for that. I am fascinated by the histories of Asia and Africa, 
and I have tried to show throughout this story how deeply intertwined the medieval West was with the global East and South. But the very notion of the Middle Ages is one that is specific to Western history. I am also writing in the West, where I have lived and studied for most of my career. One day I, or most likely someone else, will write a complementary history of the Middle Ages that turns this perspective on its head and sees the period from the outside, as it were. But today is not that day. This, then, is the shape of things to come. As I have already said, this is a big book, yet it is also a hopelessly short one. I have covered more than 1,000 years of history here in less than 1,000 pages. Each chapter of this book has an entire scholarly field dedicated to it. So while there is plenty to see here, there is also much that has been left on the cutting room floor. All I can say is that my aim with all my books is to entertain as well as inform. If this one does a little bit of both, I shall consider it a blessing. <laughs>